0: Uh, Today is a little bit different day, it's going to be a little bit unique And so I want to just kind of prepare you for what's going to happen Uh, We're going to have, we intentionally built in a little bit of extra time At the end of our service because we want to give you a vision update And there's just a lot of things going on today uh, That I want to make mention of In the first service we had two people come for baptism Which was just awesome One of uh, our young students uh, came and He's been in Awana for a while, and God just been working in his life. And at VBS this year, he gave his life to Christ, which is just awesome. And then one of our young professionals gave her life to Christ as well, and so that was awesome. And I should remind you, if you know when and Shirley Scribner, today is their 60th wedding anniversary. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? And, yeah, it's okay. Clap for that. They, it's interesting, as, uh, as I told the first service, Somebody told me that Wynn had said he thought he deserved a gold medal for 60 years. But Shirley had been nominated for the Purple Heart for putting up with him. And and so if we're handing out medals, that seems about right, doesn't it? Uh, When you leave today, you're walking back out into the lobby and you're going to see that our global focus celebration is in full swing, right? So you notice that there were these tables out there and people crowded around them and doing different things. Let me tell you what's going on, and, and here's what I'm asking you to do. September 23rd is our global focus celebration's end. That, that global impact celebration ends on September 23rd. And on that night, we have something that's very, very special. We call it a giving night to our partners. If you go out there and you would take a blue card or a pink card, that's a gift for one of our, our, our partner men and women, right? The yellow cards are for children. And if you take one of those cards, you can be assured that it's a gift that's $100 or less. Okay, And here's what we ask you to do. We ask you to fill it out and you take half of it and leave half of it with one of our, our guest relation worker people out here. And we ask you to come back on September 23rd. Don't, don't take the card if you're just going to phone it in. That, that, that removes it for us. It doesn't make any sense. You've got to be here to see the look on their face when you give them the, the gift that night. We bring them up here and we'll say, everybody uh, that has something for Remedy Church, come on up. And you'll see people flood up and they'll give our partners gifts. So $100 left on, on one of those cards. If you go behind the Next Step Center, that's our big board. Big board items are massive items. They're greater than $100. They may be a couple of thousand dollars where it's a computer or something they need for the ministry. And we've broken those up into smaller chunks this year. So your Sunday school class or your family may say, I I can't do the whole thing, but I'd like to do this portion of that. Or you may say, I'll take two chunks of the four on this one. Whatever you want to do, this is an important, important night. We're now in what's most, I call the most really important season of our church life, Global Impact Celebration. So just be aware of that as we get going. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue to study our sermon series called hashtag Blessed. It's a study of the Sermon on the Mount, and we called it hashtag Blessed because Jesus began every statement in the Beatitudes with the word blessed. And it simply means when you say blessed to be happy. So Jesus is outlining the process for happiness and satisfaction for his followers in this first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Our key verse this week is going to be verse 7 which talks about the merciful. That's the key verse, but I want to start at the beginning just as I've done every week to remind us of a few things. Jesus started by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are the people who have emptied themselves. They understand how their lives are wrecked without Christ, and they've taken a fair assessment of their lives and understood that it comes up lacking. And then he said, blessed are those who mourn. Why do they mourn? They're mourning over. The mess that their life has been and how they got there. They're mourning over the decisions they've made that made their life what it is. And that's the process of repentance and coming back to Christ. Then he said, blessed are those who are gentle. Those are people, they've already realized they have nothing left in their life to stand up and brag about or boast about. And so they take on Jesus' characteristic of gentleness. And they're living that out. Then he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You remember last week, I asked you, what are you really desiring? And truthfully, not many of us listed, you know, righteousness, did we? We might have listed, you know, more money in our retirement account or a vacation or a better job or a better relationship or this better opportunity, but but that's what we're talking about. What, what does your appetite lead you toward? Well, Jesus said if you would hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'd be filled and you'd be satisfied. And that comes through pursuing his character once again. Today we kind of turn a little bit because Jesus is going to start talking less about what we're introspectively looking towards and more about his character forming in our lives as we talk about the merciful. So let's do what we have been uh, over the last few weeks, and we're going to read all of these verses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll finish in verse 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 7 being our key verse as it talks about the merciful, but verse 7, 8, and 9 all have a promise attached with them. And you might read verse 7 like this, Happy are the merciful because they will receive or obtain mercy. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out how essential it was for every believer to understand that God wants them to be something more than he wants a believer to do something. Now, we get that backwards. We always get kind of hung up on the doing and forget about the being. Now, my father pastored this church for 12 years, and he often reminded us that faithful and true disciples need to be able to be, know, and do. Be, know, do. Now, the order of that's pretty important. Be, know, do. What we tend to do is, is kind of flip that around and reverse it and start with the do Maybe know something and very seldom be something. Let me explain what I mean. Many times I meet people and they're all fired up. They're on mission. They want to they wanna change the world. They want to go around the world. They want to do a unique ministry. They want to be part of something really that would change, I think, our country even. And, and all that's great. But what's lacking a lot of time is that they haven't spent any time to get the knowledge right that they need to be able to do something. And they haven't been able to get the knowledge right because they weren't letting Christ become something. They weren't becoming something in Christ. And it's very important that we understand that you have to be something. Then you begin to know some things. Then you get to do some things. We might be very guilty of this in the Baptist church of reversing this order. And maybe we don't get the, the do part. Uh, in front of these things, but a lot of times I know that we get the knowing part. We take a lot of Bible studies around here. I should mention to you that Bible studies kick off again this week, our women's Bible studies, and if you haven't signed up for those, today is the last day to do that. But we, we do a lot of Bible studies. We have doctrine studies in here on Wednesday night, and, and we're, we, we try, to, try to learn a lot about the Scripture, but if that never leads to us becoming something so that we can do something, I guess that just means that you can win Bible Jeopardy so what? That doesn't mean anything, folks. This is not a book for you to study so that you can pass a quiz. It's a book for you to study so that you can pass life's test. You understand the difference? It's not for us to study for a quiz. It's for us to know something so that it shapes our lives. And if you become something and then you know something, then you can do something. I think that's really important for us. Many of us need to allow God the time and space to change us from the inside out. And that takes a lot of patience and understanding. But let me tell you something else. It takes fortitude. Because when God starts to carve up the pieces of our lives that don't need to be there, it's a painful process. I was talking this week with a pastor friend of mine. And he was sharing with me how God had brought them through a season of becoming in his life. And that in this season of his life, it was one of the most difficult things that he ever went through. He literally felt like the rug had been pulled right out from under him. I mean, it was just crazy what had happened. And he said, you know, during that time, we didn't know which way was up. We didn't know which way was down. And we were just trying to follow the Lord. But what we began to discover is that God was doing something in our lives. And as he began to do something in our lives... What happened is the intimacy that we had with the Father was unbelievable. Our prayer lives increased. God began to shape us, and we couldn't see this, but he was leading us to the next phase of ministry that we're in. You've got to give God the time and the space to shape your life so that he can speak into it. I've said this to us before, but so many of us have no margin. There's no time for God to ever speak. We never go before the Lord and allow him to shape us. We don't want to have the patience to do that. We just want to get on with it. But before we can do something, God's wanting us to be something. And as we think about that, we need to take a closer look at mercy so that we can be the men and women God wants us to be on this earth. Let's think about what it means to be merciful. To do that, let's remind ourselves of what it's not. A lot of times people think about merciful people and they think they're just people who allow everything. They kind of just roll over and let anybody get away with anything, and that's not it. A lot of times people think they're the kind of people who are just politically correct all the time. That's not it either. We live in a day and an age where people think, I think wrongly, that their goal in life is to walk through life not offending anyone. Can I help you with something? As an adult, let me me just share this. The exchange of ideas always leads to a possible offense. We used to know that. I believe I'm right, you believe you're right. We talk about the idea. There can be a possible offense. Adults understand that and still exchange ideas. You know what I'm getting at here? So the people who are merciful, they don't walk around on eggshells trying to just be really nice to everybody. And I don't want to offend anybody or saying that. That's not it at all. Merciful people are not those who go around trying to avoid people. Mercy, sometimes in the scripture, is confused with grace. When we talk about grace, when we read the Bible, we need to understand that grace is when you've been giving what, given what is undeserved. And mercy is when you have been shown compassion when justice was deserved. The word merciful here in the scripture means someone who shows compassion to the lowly. Let me further explain it by illustrating how God uses grace and mercy in our lives. I think that will help us. Grace was given to all who are Christ followers when Jesus died on the cross in our place. What happened was that our sin demanded a death, and it should have been ours, but grace was given when Jesus died in our place. Mercy was extended because that punishment was placed upon him. It, it, was, it was that God saw us in our pitiful estate, and it was a pitiful estate. He, he, he understood that, that we were messed up and we couldn't do anything to get out of it. And God reached down and stepped in and changed our lives. What Jesus is saying to his followers is that we need to become this type of person, just like he was. He reached down, mercy came towards us, and he says that we extend mercy and in turn receive mercy. When we have the quality of mercy in our lives it actually begins to change how we act and think about others think about it for a minute how do you view the lost world do you view them as a an inconvenience or or do you have compassion for them and i mean do you really look at their lives and the actual state of their lives and wonder if god has reached down and touched them yet or do you just see them as somebody who's stopping something you want to do or or an inconvenience that you had to deal with today Do you feel the same sense of compassion that Christ had towards you when you look out at the world? i got to be just kind of clear with you this morning. I, I struggle with this. I really do. I struggle with it because a lot of times when I see the lost world, I get frustrated. I get frustrated because I feel like we have the answers to all of life's questions and how we should live and, and you just wish that the world could wake up and see it. And I get frustrated that they don't sometimes. Sometimes I feel vindictive when I hear about how the lost world treats other believers. I get angry. I, I, want, I want them to get paid back what they have given to other people. I, I, get, I get angry about it. I want God to answer my cry for justice and wipe out those who oppose his throne. But God doesn't respond that way. He doesn't respond that way because he has pity and compassion. For them, something that's lost on us so many times. But you see, it's not just a sentiment that God has. God acted. God saw the lost dead in their trespasses and sins. And that sentiment, that feeling of compassion moved him towards action. And he reached down and touched the lost with Jesus Christ. He he sent Christ so that we wouldn't have to die in our trespasses and sins. He sent Christ so that we wouldn't have to face the punishment that should have rightly been ours if you want to think about how mercy shows up in a real way in a tangible way think about it like this have you ever been walking downtown and maybe had someone approach you one of the homeless folks from down there and you just thought man they just need to get a job they just need to get a job don't inconvenience me get a job that's not mercy That's not mercy. Mercy looks at people's lives for where they're at and moves towards them and sees beyond what's presenting, has compassion for them, and wants to offer help for their lives and for their spiritual lives. With the Global Impact Celebration just around the corner, you're going to get a chance to meet one of our mission partners named Becky Summerall. Becky Summerall used to be the chairman of what was called the Christian Women's Job Corps. It was called the Christian Women's Job Corps because Becky looked around our city and she understood that there were all of these women in our city whose lives were being harmed by some things that she felt like with a little bit of mercy and compassion could be corrected. For instance, they needed financial assistance. They needed some job skills. They, they needed uh, some relational skills and they needed some spiritual skills because they didn't know the Lord. And she saw all of that wrapped into one. She didn't see that as separated things. And so she began to minister to these ladies, and she worked really hard to create something that was going to lift people up out of their situation. If you've ever been to the Christian Women's Job Corps Banquet, and you hear the stories from these ladies, it'll blow you away about how God has changed their lives because mercy reached out to someone. Mercy didn't see that as an inconvenience. Mercy saw that as a calling. So much that, It was a calling that men started showing up to the Christian Women's Job Corps. So they had to change their name. They couldn't call it the Christian Women's Job Corps anymore. They call it Begin Anew. And they keep keep reaching people. And Charlene Cooey and uh, Butch and Cheryl Baltimore regularly go down and work with Begin Anew. And we see people saved out of this ministry all the time. They're leading countless people to Christ as well as changing their lives. That's mercy. That's mercy personified. See, as we talk about stories at Judson, we always encourage you to know two stories, right? We ask you to know your story. We just call that my story. My story is when you're able to share your story of how God has changed you in two minutes or less with someone. Really quickly. It can be really simple. You know, I used to be this, but God has changed my heart, and this is who I am today. That's it. It's really simple. Then we ask you to know his story. That's the story of the gospel as explained to us in the book of Romans. And we teach you about five scripture verses and just ask you to walk through those with people because sometimes as you share your story, you're going to get to share his story. Somebody says, well, how can I get, How can I be saved? How can I know that? We want you to be able to do that. But we have to remember something. Jesus is in the business of writing stories that last for eternity, right? And as he writes those stories, every one of our stories had a part A and a part B. How we were before we met Christ and how life is since we met Christ what we fail to realize sometimes is that Jesus is waiting to write people's story and we've got to look beyond what we see as their book cover when you were a kid they always told you don't judge a book by its cover what they meant by that was don't judge people right but I've read some pretty terrible books that had great covers right and I've read some pretty good books that had terrible covers so don't judge a book by its cover in other words dive in and find out the story And we have to look beyond the cover of people's lives because a lot of times on that exterior cover, they present that everything is great and they're totally secure and they have all the finances that they need and life is just wonderful and they don't need any help from anyone. But we know better because we all know that inside of all of us is something missing that only Jesus can fill. And so you got to look beyond that. Sometimes people present with addiction. That's their cover story. When you see it, it looks like a terrible mess, and it looks like a book you don't know that you want to open, but I'm telling you, it's worth opening that book because Jesus is waiting to write the story again because when Jesus writes your story, all things become new. The old passes away, right? And so mercy reaches out to people and understands that God has placed them in our path for a very, very specific reason. We're to show them mercy As God extended mercy to us, we show it to them. And guess what? Then God gives us mercy. Look at verse 7 again. I want you to see this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. They receive mercy. The last part of this verse is a great promise for those who are merciful towards others. As we have received mercy, it begins to change us and we're able to extend mercy to other people. And God does something in our lives. As we extend mercy, he gives mercy. And he says, you're happy when you're merciful. You're happy when you're merciful. A few years later, Jesus kind of backed up this teaching with his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew By giving them a parable of a story that he thought was very important for them to understand. He told them the story about a man who was in debt to a great king. We'll call him the great debtor. This great debtor owed millions of millions of dollars in today's currency. He had absolutely no chance of ever paying it back. He couldn't do it. And one day the king decided that he was going to call the note on the debt. And he brought this debtor in, the great debtor, and said, You need to pay back what you owe me. And he said, I can't. I, I need more time. And he says, We're going to throw you in jail until you can pay it back. And the man begins to beg for his life and say, you, you can't do this. I just need more time. Now, understand, it'd be like me or you owing millions of dollars to someone. I could owe millions of dollars and I could tell you, Just give me more time. But the only way you're ever going to see it is in eternity, brother, when I'm dead. You're never getting it. There's no way. I can't pay it back. That's the situation this guy was in. And Jesus told the disciples that the king was moved with compassion and forgave the debt. He erased it, wiped it off the books. Now, you can imagine this guy, right? If I was him, if I'm bouncing down the steps of the palace, knowing I never could have paid the debt back, and that it had just been wiped off the books, I'd be pretty happy. I might be in a generous mood. might take the wife and kids to dinner that night, right? I mean, you might be pretty excited about that. This guy found someone who owed him a few dollars, Not millions of dollars, a few dollars. And Jesus said that when he saw him, he said, give me back what you owe. The guy said, I can't have it, just give me a little bit more time. And the scripture says that the great debtor grabbed this man who owed him a few bucks by the throat and began to choke him. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Grabbed him by the throat. Harsh. Threw the man in jail and said, you'll stay there until you can pay me back. When the king heard about this, the scripture says that he called the great debtor back in. And I want you to see this. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 33. It'll be on the screen. The king asked this question, Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his lord, the king, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father, Jesus says, will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That rhetorical question in verse 33 is haunting. Should you not have had mercy? Should you not have had mercy? The answer is obvious isn't, of course he should have shown mercy. He'd just been re- released from a debt of millions of dollars that he had no hope of ever paying back. And yet he went outside and began to choke someone over a few bucks. These debts didn't compare. They weren't even in the same spectrum. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you because I think what I'm about to say is very, very serious. What Jesus is saying is striking. The way you extend mercy to people is an indicator of the Lord's love in your life. But those who don't have this quality need to do some serious soul-searching because Jesus may be saying this morning that you haven't found salvation. The merciful receive mercy. The merciful receive mercy. When you aren't showing forgiveness, Jesus says the Heavenly Father does something incredibly scary here. He says he hands you over to a place of torment until your life can get right. And too many people I know are ready to lower the boom on others. They're ready to just absolutely hammer someone. They're vindictive. They don't want to deal with people, they never want to extend mercy. I've told you this about unforgiveness before. It's really important. When we're dealing with a harm that's been done to us, two things generally happen if we were to really get our courage up and go talk to someone who had harmed us. Number one is you might walk to that person and say, you really offended me or you hurt me when you said this. It really hurt me. And that person would say, I had no idea. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. That's that's response number one. A lot of times people have no idea they've offended us. So we live with this unforgiveness for no reason because we go to them and we realize that they didn't mean it. They, they, they would have never meant to harm us. And in the church, that happens all the time. right? I, you say something, I say something, I didn't mean it, you didn't mean it. But that day it just struck me as odd or it struck you as odd and it hurt. And if we'd give each other a little of grace and mercy and just go, you know what, I know, I know they didn't mean that. I'm, God, I forgive them for that. I'm going to live in freedom. I'm not going to even go on with that. You don't even have to have the conversation. But if you go to that person, there's a possibility that number two happens. And the second thing that could happen is that you look at them and say, you really hurt me, and they say, good, I'd do it again if I had the chance. So you carry around unforgiveness for what? Some of us are being tortured, literally. By our unforgiveness. We don't have the joy of the Lord. We don't have peace. Because we're holding tight to something that we should have let go a long time ago. When we're not showing forgiveness, we're in this place of torment until we can get it right. Tortured by our unforgiveness, it will absolutely haunt you. And the way to get over that is to always remember your life before Christ. What was your life like before Christ? Was it a mess? Do you need the old man to kind of show up in your life, the old woman to show up in your life and remind you of what it was like before all things were made new? What Jesus is saying in this parable is that when we sinned against God, it costs Jesus his life. You can't pay that back. And yet it's like we come out of church and go find somebody and grab them by the throat and start choking them because they said something that hurt our feelings or they harmed us or they did something that came against us and Jesus is saying, I've forgiven you of everything. Treat others the same way. Show them mercy. How do we do that? It starts when you just decide to forgive people immediately. You know what? If you would just, when the offense happens, just go, you know what, Lord? I'm not going to let that have a place in my life. I'm going to forgive them right now. I forgive them. I'm moving on. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. I forgive them. Let's move on. Man, what could God do in our lives if that was our attitude? It might be that we need to go before the Lord and this morning do some business with forgiveness and release some people that we've been holding a grudge against. It might be that we have to go before the Lord and ask ourselves this question, am I seeing people with the compassion that Jesus sees them? Or am I stepping over them to get to what I want to do and I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be messed with. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to be frustrated with this. I don't have time for that. It's why we're here. As we extend mercy towards others, it's life-changing. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I want to ask you, as we enter into a time of prayer, could it be that you're being haunted and tortured by unforgiveness? Maybe you're a believer this morning, and you've just never released that, or it's a new thing in your life. You've let unforgiveness take hold recently. You know what? We we can go back to any sin, at any time, but we don't have to. If God's brought someone to your mind, could you just forgive them now? Show mercy. Maybe you need to pray that God would give you a heart of compassion and mercy for people who are lost, to understand where they're at. Ask Him to do it. You know what? It could be that you've never received forgiveness and mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never repented of your sins and asked Him to save you he stands willing and ready to do that right now and if you'd ask him to forgive you of your sins and believe that he died on the cross in your place and rose to life again after three days in a tomb the scripture says that you'll be saved if you've never given your life to Christ won't you do that now Our Father, we ask that you would allow us to see mercy for what it really is. That we needed it, and we need to extend it to others. Set us free from unforgiveness. Set us free from spiritual pride that sees the lost as an inconvenience or a frustration. And let us, Lord, give mercy and receive mercy this morning again.